What's up, everybody? I am Ryan McNichols, host of Fantasy Oddballs Football Podcast. I am joined by my co-host, Rich Hauk, and our producer, Mike Coyle. We are talking everything Dynasty and season-long fantasy football. We dig through all the numbers so that you don't have to. What's up, everybody? We are back. It is Tuesday, September 13th, and we have just wrapped up week one of NFL football. We've got a lot of stuff to get into, so we are going to get into it. Uh, We're going to start off... I'm going to start off, I guess, going off... uh, So, I'm in four fantasy leagues this year. I won three out of the four of them. The one I lost was probably the one I wanted to win the most. Like, if you gave me the option of just win that one and lose the other three, or win the other three and lose that one, I might have taken win that one and lose the other other three three. because of who I'm playing in that one league, my, my, my rival. He is like... It's like... I mash Ketchum, and he's Gary Oak. And it's like, I don't care if I win all eight gym badges. I want to beat Gary Oak. And that bothers me so much more that I lost to him than I did the other ones. And part of the reason I lost to him is because offenses out in this league are playing scared, and it's driving me insane. So, first off, let let, I'm trying to decide whether I want to begin with the Colts or the Broncos. And the Broncos just played last night, so it's a little fresher. But the Colts have been a little bit more of a nagging thing for me going on. So I'm going to start with Frank Reich and the Colts. Because Jim Irsay, Frank Reich, they all threw Carson Wentz under the bus last season when they came out of it, saying basically he wasn't the right fit for the team. and He was the reason that they lost games. I can assure you now that Frank Reich has, in fact, cost the Colts multiple games over the last two seasons, like including this season. They played one game. They tied the Houston Texans. So I, I, I just... Let, let's go through it. So, on 4th and 2 at Houston's 27, with Jonathan Taylor and one of the best offensive lines in football, they decide to opt for a field goal. It's too early in the game. You get the lead, whatever. But it's 4th and 2. You're on their 27. Like, I just... Yeah, you're uh, seeing more and more teams go for that nowadays. Exactly. Colts aren't one of them. So, then we'd go around and they come back 1st and goal at the nine. Here's their play calling. They do a rush with Jonathan Taylor. Okay. They do a pass. Another pass play to Naheem Hines. Then they decide they're going to go for it on fourth down with a direct snap to Naheem Hines. How inside of the 10-yard line do you not have Jonathan Taylor out there and use him on at least two of those four plays? Used him once. It doesn't make any sense. Once. you got to give the ball to your best player. you got to. Like You absolutely have to. It... They come back around, first and goal at the four. Pass, 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 delay of game, field goal. Because they got a delay of game, so now it's first and nine, or first and goal from the nine. Why did you throw the ball three times in a row from first and goal at the four-yard line when you have Jonathan Taylor in your backfield? Doesn't make sense. I'm confused. He's not out there. You've got Naheem Hines on the drive before that out there when you're inside the five-yard line. Then you've got... Jonathan Taylor, you're not even using him out there in the past game. It's like, well, Alec Pierce dropped the touchdown, and he would have caught. That's great. I'm, I'm pretty sure Jonathan Taylor wouldn't have fumbled it on his way into the end zone. You know, like it's just, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. He did it last year too with the Baltimore Ravens game that they lost in overtime. They got up in that game early, and he started playing safe. He started making the calls like, I don't want to lose the game, so I'm just going to settle for a field goal here instead of going for it. And they end up losing in overtime because at the end of regulation, they missed a long field goal. 
And the reason that they missed that long field goal, which brings me, it's just going to loop into what the Broncos did at the end of the game last night, where it's like, when your offense has all of a sudden been stalling out and you're not moving and you're not driving, I don't know where you get into this mindset that you're going to run a four-minute offense with two minutes left on the clock and you're just going to get in a field goal range like it's nothing. That's what happened in the Colts game when they missed a field goal. They didn't get close enough to get the field goal. They ended up losing in overtime because they missed it. So what happened to the Broncos last night. The Broncos attempted a 64-yard field goal. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, I was watching the Broncos play call. And the play calling throughout the entire Broncos game was absolutely atrocious yeah, was, by the Broncos. Curious, to say the least. Yeah, it was... They started off at one point in the, in, the, in the game, and the announcer said, you know, oh, Nathaniel Hackett said, we've got four tight ends on the roster, and we're going to use all of them. You're, I'm sitting there like, why? Why? Why am I going to see all four of your tight ends active and being useful in this game? You've got Jerry Judy, you've got Cortland Sutton, you've got K.J. Hanley, you've got Javante Williams, you've got Melvin Gordon. Why am I going to see four different tight ends being involved in your offense? That makes absolutely no sense to me when he said it. I thought, that can't be real. And then guess what? We saw four tight ends involved in this offense during the game. I was absolutely baffled by the play calling, the decisions. It, it At the end there, they are running their offense in a condensed offense, essentially trying to get Justin at the field goal range with just enough time to run off the clock. And I'm sitting there thinking, why? What about how your offense has played thus far makes you think that you are going to get 45 yards in under three or in under four minutes? I was like, you've run seven drives to this point. You've had two of them that were shorter than a four-minute drive. What makes you think you're moving 45 yards to get in a field goal range in three minutes and 40 seconds? Like it's nothing. You couldn't do it when you had your full offense and you were doing it out earlier in the game. Why are you now going to condense it and do the we're going to play the run the clock out game? It's like, guess what? Use your full offense. You get into the field goal range. Then you do the we're going to run the clock out game and we'll tick off. You know, Even if you get there in the first play and now it's like, oh, crap, we've got three minutes and three down. And it's like even if you don't get a first down, you still have three plays, 40 seconds each play, and then the fourth down field goal that you can kick. Like, you're going to run almost all of that three minutes off the clock, and they're going to have 40 seconds left to try to come out. Or they could use all of their timeouts, and then they can run a two-minute drill where they have to move into position to score. But, like, they came out just telling themselves, oh, we'll get in the field goal range, no, no problem. problem. We'll be able to kick it, and it'll be easy. And then guess what? They didn't get in the field goal range, and they missed the field goal. And they lost to the Seattle Seahawks. Rich... The Seattle Seahawks are in first place in the NFC West. They were supposed to be one of the worst teams in the league. Every NFC West team besides the Seahawks lost yesterday. The Cardinals lost. The Rams lost on Thursday. The 49ers lost to the Chicago Bears. The Seahawks beat the Denver Broncos, who are supposed to be one of the contenders for the AFC West. People talk about them upsetting the Kansas City Chiefs. That doesn't look like that's happening anytime soon. Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid did not miss a beat without Tyreek Hill. I just... The play calling throughout the entire thing th threw me off, too. Because, again, like... We talked about it earlier. Russell Wilson has played his entire career in Seattle. He should know what that environment is like. The fact that they were getting under center with less than five seconds on the play clock every single time was driving me insane. I'm just watching. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you know for a fact that you're not getting any spare time here in, in Seattle. What we learned recently, we heard on a broadcast, we'll share this for you all at home, is that 
The decision to throw a flag for a delay of game is all based off the referee. The referee looks at the play clock uh, like timer. There's an official play clock down there that he looks at. He has to look from that timer to the ball to see if the ball is snapped. Depending on who the referee is, the amount of time that it takes them to do that and that they give may vary. Seattle Seahawks referee does not give any time. I am convinced that somebody is standing there watching both that play clock and the ball simultaneously, one on each eye, and they the second that play clock hit zero, they're throwing that flag. You're getting a delay of game. So you know like there's none of those games to be played. Hike the ball with two seconds left on the clock every single time. This offense did not look like they knew what they were doing. The linemen were constantly confused about what was going on. The one play where Javante Williams fumbled in the end zone, the offensive line had no idea where they I don't think two of the guys were even set. I think they were still looking back at Russell Wilson trying to figure out what was about to happen when the ball got snapped and they fumbled it forward. Melvin Gordon had a fumble at the end zone, too, and they ran it, but I felt like they didn't run it a lot when they got in the end zone. They had three three drives in the end zone. They had a... Uh, they ended up with a fourth and four. They they you know they passed it. They passed it. They passed it, and they passed it all four down, and they didn't get it. And then they come out. They have a fourth and eight, and the three plays that led to the fourth and eight. They did a pass. They did a pass, and they did a pass, and they got sacked. They had incompletion, a sack, and then a short completion to Javante Williams. Fourth and goal from the eight. They passed. They passed. They passed. Why did you keep Melvin Gordon around, and why do you have Javante Williams if you're going to throw it a majority of the time? So I can understand. You can say again about the fumbles that happened. It was like Melvin Gordon's fumble. Not so much excusable. Javante Williams, your offensive line wasn't set, and he got hit essentially as soon as he got the ball put in his hands. Like, I don't even think he was able to fully get a grip around that ball yet. And it's just, it, it's the, it was the safe play calling throughout. The decision, like, you know, to take these short field goals when you're inside of your opponent's, you know, 15, 10 yard line comes back to haunt you in the game when you lose by one point. And it it's not just them. There's other teams out there. The Colts, again, did it today where they, they attempted to kick a field goal on a third down where they still had time on the clock. They could have gotten another playoff, gotten closer, and tried to some. No, they kicked the field goal. They missed it, and they ended up tying the Texans in overtime. The Bengals did the same thing. The Bengals, have an, the Bengals were using a backup long snapper who was struggling. And instead of using the extra down to try to get closer or try to score, they made the decision to kick a field goal. And just like you stop playing scared, stop playing for the field goal, stop playing scared, play to win that game. Like I just don't understand. It just seemed like a lot of teams are taking the safe route, and it cost them. And I, it, it cost me in fantasy as well, and it's like it cost them in real life. So hopefully things change going forward. So. It was a crazy week one of football. Football's back, man. I could tell by how impassioned you were about that topic right there. It, you know, it's back. Football's here. I won three out of four leagues and I was still upset. That's yeah. yeah. That was that's one. how football is. So one and two. One and two. <laughs> We're gonna recap uh, everything that kind of happened from week one. Then we're gonna talk some big picture stuff, just some general things that we saw throughout there, and then we'll get through a game by game recap, kind of going through some things that stood out in each game, just the general feel we got from each game, how the rookies did here and there, and so um, yeah. So let's start off with you know. Talking about the Broncos, and more specifically, it began on Thursday night with the Los Angeles Rams. Just a lot of the NFL powerhouses, the teams that won the divisions last year, are supposed to be, you know, in contention for Super Bowl this year. Los Angeles Rams, Green Bay Packers, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, San Francisco 49ers, Dallas Cowboys, they all looked awful. Absolutely awful. Yes, they did. 
Now, Tampa Bay managed to pull a win out of that group. They're the only one of the five teams there that managed to pull off a win, but that's because they were playing Dallas, who looked even worse than cool. they did. Dallas looked even before Dak got injured. We'll get into them, but man, they looked they looked bad. They looked awful. So, I mean, right now your your top teams in the NFC are the Philadelphia Eagles, the Minnesota Vikings, the Seattle Seahawks, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And then I think the uh, Chicago Bears are in there as a wild, and then the Giants and the football and team would the all commanders. be the Commanders. commanders I'm sorry, would all be wild card teams if the playoffs started today. So that's how Week One ended. So let's talk about this a little bit then. So are we essentially? Let's do. A, we're doing buy sell hold. We're going to look at each one of these offenses that struggle and just say, are we buying kind of what happened Week One? Are we selling this like we're not you know believing it? Or are we? Uh, Holding on our opinions until we see what happens out in week two. And we'll start with the Thursday game, the Buffalo Bills against Los Angeles Rams. What, how do we feel about the Rams? The Rams are the one team on this list that I wasn't sure about. Like, some of the other ones are clear hold. The Rams, I don't know, though, man. That offensive line looked porous. Now, it could have just been how good the Bills' pass rush was. And, you know, credit to Von Miller. He had a dominant game. It, what, is, what did we see? That, that's the question. Did we see... A dominant effort by by the D line in the pass rush, or did we just witness a terrible offensive line? And that's the question. And then you all got to take into take into account Stafford's elbow too. And I'm a little concerned. He was he threw some bad balls. He threw some bad balls, and he got. It seemed like he got panicked early, and he just defaulted to throwing to Cooper Cup essentially all the no time, time, and then yeah. to Tyler Higby. And it's one of those things where. Allen Robinson was a disappointment. You know, I've got Allen Robinson on my team. I had him last year. I was hoping for better this year. You saw, I saw there's a, there was somebody compiled all of Allen Robinson's routes from that game and put it in a clip on Twitter on YouTube. He was open. He was. Like, yes, he was. This it wasn't a matter of Allen Robinson wasn't playing football well or has lost it. Like, And I don't mean open like you could have thrown a 50-50 ball in one. But no, like he got separation. He was open several times, sat in some open areas on some curl routes. There was one that was a that he had a slant route where he was coming across from left to right and he was open and Matthew Scrambert is literally scrambling in the same direction and I don't know how he doesn't look down the field and sees him. Matthew Scrambert decides to keep it and scrambles and got maybe three yards on his scramble as opposed to tossing it to Allen Robinson. I don't know what it is if maybe they're just not synced up yet if they haven't had a lot of practice together with Stafford missing time with the elbow. Hopefully somebody points it out to him and says, "Hey man, like look, he's he's open. We gotta." We got to work the ball to some other guys, but I mean, they're the thing that struck me is I felt like they came out like trying to establish the run game, and it just wasn't working. And it wasn't working, and like we should have, they should have known that it probably wasn't going to be working based off how they use Cam Akers. I felt like they knew that he wasn't ready to go full speed yet at this point in the season, and so they were going to be counting on Daryl Henderson and then their rookie uh, Kyron Williams. But Kyron Williams got hurt on the opening kickoff, so they couldn't end up using him. And it's like, so did what? This was the other thing. They didn't adjust there, but they also never adjusted their game plan at any point. They at continued all. to come out and do the same thing. Felt like they were trying to establish the run, and it wasn't working. And it's like, why, when you had such a prolific passing offense that you've always had, are you trying to establish the run with Daryl Henderson? Like, when you had to go to Daryl Henderson as your number one back last year, you switched to a more pass 
heavier offense and it worked out for you. I don't understand. Is it Stafford's elbow? Is it the lack of reps that he's had under the passing offense? Was it just the line? They don't want to have Stafford. The offensive line. Yeah, he wasn't getting. I mean, it's he wasn't getting a whole lot of time. But at the same time, it's not. uh, There were times where he did have time. Again, the the one where he scrambled out and just didn't throw it down. Robinson is one of those things where it's like. He got pressure, but he also escaped the pressure, and he just made a poor decision. Yeah. So, like, it seemed like he was making some poor decisions throughout the game. So, I'm with you. I'm, I'm kind of trying to determine what to make of that. Is Kyrie Williams going to be back and be a bigger factor? Is Cam Akers going to pick it up? Apparently, Cam Akers' problem is in pass protection. He just keeps he has trouble picking up the blitz and, and keeping pressure off of Matthew Stafford. So, I, I guess that makes the Rams a hold. We'll, we'll wait and see. Put them with the rest of these other... We'll see how their offense yeah. unfolds next week. Um, they have a more favorable matchup. I'm, I'm is, looking for that offensive line. That's what I'm looking for. If Stafford will, will get his connection with Allen Robinson figured out, I, I trust. And you know, if the elbow's not as bad as you know the Rams are saying and Stafford's saying, it shouldn't be an issue. If that's the case, then it really comes down to that offensive line. Yeah, the elbow just might be concerning because one of those things where it's like, if he needed. He apparently didn't need surgery for it in the offseason. He had, like, an injection or whatever and this, that, and the other thing. It's like, but if that was supposed to take care of it and it didn't, you know, the non-invasive procedure didn't take care of it, is it just he needs a matter... It's a matter if he needs rest for it to recover, in which case he's not going to get it during the season, so it's not going to get better. Or is it... or? Is the elbow not actually an issue? So that's the thing. If we see him pop up with his elbow thing again at some point, like week three or four, I'm going to be really concerned about what's going on with the Rams team because... It doesn't seem like it then. It'll, it seems like it'll be then a thing that needs to be rested in order to go away, and I don't. he's not going to be able to rest it during the season. So, The Buffalo Bills on the other side had no problems. They looked uh, like... Steamrolled. <laughs> yeah. They uh, looked like they how they've been talked about all offseason as potentially the number one team in or the AFC. Yeah, they're the betting favorite for the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if those odds have changed at all after the Chiefs games. Uh, it was against the Arizona Cardinals, so we'll come back, we'll come back to that game at one point, but... The Bills look good. Stephon Diggs looked great. He looks like the top five wide receiver that everybody thought he would be. Gabe Davis stepped up, got 18 points, got his uh, long touchdown, or I'm sorry, a long catch and a touchdown. So, you know, he didn't see a whole lot of volume, but they also didn't really need to throw it a whole lot with, you know, the Rams only scoring 10 points. But, I mean, he got you 18 fantasy points. Not much more you can expect from a wide receiver, too. Any, uh, you know, the run game, I don't know what's going on with their run game. I've never known, been out on the run game. I can say this, James Cook, doesn't look like he's going to be a thing this season after that game. First touch fumbled, and then he's pulled out. And it's a it, rough start. I, I felt, so, Devin Singletary was their primary back, and they used him a lot, and he was effective but I honestly felt when we were watching the game that like their best few runs actually came from Zach Moss, where like he had some burst and he puts his shoulder down into some people and ran through them. Like I honestly thought their most explosive running back as far as like the plays that I saw were was Zach Moss, despite them using Singletary more and him having more effective numbers. That being said, I'm still like this this running back room is I don't know like. I, I'm not reliably starting any one of the Buffalo Bills running backs as my RB2. And I would like, you know, if you want to play the game of which one of these guys wants to be a flex, but at the flex position at that point, I'd rather go for a wide receiver than play roulette with the Bills running back. So I'm keeping, I might, if you have Singletary or Moss or something, you want to keep them on your bench to fill in on a bye week or something like that, or somebody gets hurt, 
that's essentially all that I'm doing them for, but I'm not starring them reliably on a weekly basis. All right, so we'll move on from that game. We'll jump over. We already, I talked a little bit about the Indianapolis Colts and Houston Texans. We'll just kind of go this more from the uh, player's perspective than my overall perspective, uh, general perspective. Jonathan Taylor killed it. Over 100 yards, touchdown, doing what he does. More involved in the passing game than he has been typically. Four catches. He only got 14 yards on it, but still, it's nice to see that he's got, you know, the four catches. Michael Pittman looks like a stud. Looks like he's the, uh, not just the number one wide receiver there, but the only wide receiver there. Alec Pierce, uh, rookie, had a drop touchdown pass. Talked about that earlier. You know, Paris Campbell, he's there, but, you know, how long remains to be seen. Tight ends, they're tight ends you know they what i mean they're not feet they were not heavily utilized no were. so it looks like it's the michael pittman and the jonathan taylor show and hopefully the colts can figure it out you know maybe if alec pierce catches that touchdown the conversation a little different but it didn't seem like he was getting a, a lot of volume in that game anyway so houston looked better than uh, some people expected people were, were put them down there with the seahawks one of the worst teams in the league that used to look pretty good right it is week one strange things happened this past week one. Uh, but, yeah, their offense looked pretty good. Uh, Davis Mills was able to move the ball pretty well. 23 of 37 for 240 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. So you have any fumbles? Yeah, he did, lose. He did in fact, lose a fumble. I apologize. Okay. So No picks, though. No interceptions. You had the one turnover on the fumble. You know, his connection with Brandon Cooks is solid. Seven catches for 82 yards on 12 targets. So, got you 15 points. Didn't get you a touchdown. But, I mean, if he gets you 15 points on a weekly basis without scoring a touchdown, that's, you know, that's a solid wide receiver, too. That's what he was drafted to be. He's reliable. Again, he's the guy that's probably never going to get 25 points in a week. But he's also never going to cost you your match on a given week. Yeah, he's one of the most underrated players in fantasy. Yeah. Michael Pittman, nine catches for 121 yards on 13 targets, as we talked about. Second wide receiver on the Indianapolis Colts was Naheem Hines, six catches on six targets for 50 yards, no touchdowns. Again, Naheem Hines will have some games like this, but you can't reliably count on him to start. So, Brandon Cook's interesting. Nicole Collins didn't really do anything. Damian Pierce, huge disappointment for everybody who's relying on him. There is somebody in one of our leagues who drafted him to be his RB2. That did not go well. This person scored less than 100 points in a full-point PPR league so and a 10-team league, just to give clarification, because of moves like having Damian Pierce as your RB2. So... Rex Burkhead clearly outsnapped Damian Pierce, too. That was the other thing. It wasn't like... Very unexpected. Yeah. So, it seemed like after the game that it has something to do with the passing game, which I thought Damian Pierce was pretty good at as far as picking up the pass splits and all that, but the comments from the coaching staff made it seem like he has some development to do. Maybe he just doesn't have a full grasp of the playbook yet. I don't imagine Rex Burkhead, who's 33 year old, 33 years old, is going to hold up as their RB1 over the course of the season. And the coaching staff, again, really liked Damian Pierce all offseason and really talked about him. So we'll see how it develops. It's something to keep an eye on. I'm not bailing on Damian Pierce yet. I'd hold on to him, see what happens. The Colts have a good defense or are supposed to have a good defense, so especially more on the run, uh, run stuffing than pass blocking. So... We'll see how that develops for Damian Pierce. But next we're going to move on to the Washington Commanders versus Jacksonville Jaguars. 
you want to start off with your thoughts on that one, Rich? Yeah, my first thought was Carson Wentz balled out. Man, did he have a good game. I know that's not what you were expecting. You're not a big uh, Carson Wentz guy. No, but, but you got to give credit where credit's due. It's a hell of a performance from Carson. 27-41 for 313 yards, four touchdowns, two interceptions. Was only sacked once, so he did throw the two interceptions out there. You know you're getting that. He's, he's gunslinging. You expect the picks. Yeah. The good thing was that he countered it with four touchdowns. It's something that Carson does occasionally. You Like you said, it, it might work better in Washington, especially with what we talked about earlier, where I, fe- where I said I felt like Frank Reich was playing scared. If Carson Wentz will play in an offense that allows him to play that way and designs its game plan around that and actually has – wide receivers that play for it, where you got Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson and Curtis Samuel, these fast, shifty guys that are good for getting open and getting down the field, as opposed to trying to force-feed it to guys like Alshon Jeffrey or Michael Pittman, who are good wide receivers, but different body type, different skill set, more of 50-50, you know, throw a, a riskier ball, whereas Carson wants to chuck it downfield to a guy who's sprinting open past the safety. So maybe this offense will work out better for him, you know, Commanders won 1-0. Every team in the NFC East won except for the Dallas Cowboys. So I'd love to see it. <laughs> you love to see it? Doug Peterson uh, was Doug Peterson revenge game against Carson Wentz revenge game. It seems like Carson Wentz came out on top in that. Yeah. Jacksonville Jaguars offense still seemed to struggle. You know, Trevor Lawrence, 24 for 42. 275 yards, one touchdown, one interception. The, the pick wasn't until the end of the game. When he was pressed, he was trying to get the ball down the field. He looked better than he did last year. Oh, he looked yeah. more poised. He looked more comfortable. And I expect him to take a leap this year. Yeah. I mean, overall, I, I mean, I thought J-Rob looked, looked good coming back from his Achilles. No one expected that, especially after Cam Akers on Thursday. Looked like a dud. Everybody was up in arms. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, dude, you can't start James Robinson this weekend. Dude goes out scores two touchdowns. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. And then Travis Etienne with a solid debut. He got some pass work. He did drop a touchdown. You know, you, you don't like to see that. But he got work. It, also, Lawrence did overthrow him on one, was it like the first or the second drive early in the game. He, he missed him by five yards. Etienne was wide open. Um, what about, how about Christian Kirk? Much maligned this offseason. Not worth the money. Overpaid this, that, and third. He went out for, what, 100 yards? So give me one second. I'll let you know. Sorry, I don't have that up. Just did. Uh, Christian Kirk, yep, six catches, 117 yards, no touchdowns. So, yeah, like you said, uh, I was one of the guys that, you know, was against that contract, sort of. I thought that they did overpay for him. Now, again, it. Oh, me too. Me not, too. I'm just it's saying. not that it's not overpay. It's, again, it's not that it's not overpaying for him. It still probably is overpaying for him. He's going to. It's not, I don't think he's a good wide receiver. It's just, I felt like it was an odd choice to choose to pick for a number one wide receiver to build around an offense after the way it struggled last year, as opposed to all the other guys that we saw get moved. I mean, we saw Marquise Brown get moved uh, for during the draft. We saw A.J. Brown get moved, Tyree Kill, and, you know, Devontae Adams obviously more expensive, but Marquise Brown got moved for a little bit less, and I felt like maybe there were other wide receivers like that they could have acquired from somewhere to, you know, more reinforce than putting all of that money into Christian Kirk. I don't know. I... Well, maybe they'll prove us wrong. I, you know, I saw Christian Kirk. I have him. I drafted him in a couple leagues. I saw him as a value there towards the end of the, uh, you know, the end of the draft because it's one of those things where 
So this was the stat that I had sent you prior or shortly after our draft where I grabbed a bunch. I mean, I grabbed a bunch of young guys in a couple of different drafts. I grabbed Rashad Bateman, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and uh, Christian Kirk in a couple of drafts. And people were asking me about, like, all the young guys. And then I sent you the message afterwards. So last year, there were 41 players who received 100-plus targets. Of those 41 players who received 100-plus targets... 37 average 10 or more fantasy points a game, 26 average 12 plus fantasy points a game. You compare that to wide receivers who got less than that. So, uh, did wide receivers who received anywhere from 50 to 100 targets, 19 of those wide receivers scored 10 plus fantasy points. If you don't get 100 targets, the chance of you getting 10 plus fantasy points is slim. It's a 90% hit rate when you get over 100 targets versus a 25% hit rate. When you're under 100 or between 50 and 100 targets. So, guys like, you know, Rashad Bateman, Christian Kirk, there's not really much else competition around them. And it's not going to be flashy on a week to week basis, but they're going to end the season with 110 targets and probably average 12, 14 fantasy points a game. They'll get you anywhere from 10 to 15 a game. Maybe they'll have an occasional 20. Maybe they'll have one or two does throughout the season, but consistently flex play worthy and depending on how well that offense develops again if you take enough of those guys who are going to see that volume to begin with you're hoping that on one of those offenses somebody steps forward and develops and goes from being a 10 to 14 point player a week to that guy who is consistently 15 16 17 points and all that a week so maybe it's Bateman maybe it's Kirk maybe it's Olave we'll see as the season goes on but uh other than that, you know, the running backs situation is something to monitor there. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that Travis Etienne actually had played more snaps than James Robinson. James Robinson just received more touches and was more efficient with his touches than Travis Etienne. got his stats there. He was pretty explosive. He had like three or four carries, and he had like 40 yards. Etienne, four for 47. Yep, 11.8 yards per carry, 27 yards long. So... Take back the efficiency. So Etienne was a little bit more efficient with the rushing touches that he got. He's also involved in the passing game. Two catches for 18 yards on four targets. James Robinson, one catch on two targets for three yards. So, again, this might be one of those things that's just kind of fluky. This might be James Robinson kind of got bailed out by getting the two touchdowns and Travis Etienne having the bad luck with those two touchdown plays because, again, the one was an overthrow and the other one was a uh, drop. And and his drop, he Robinson came in like two plays later and they ran like the same exact play and, and he, he scored. Right. So, you know, that that's something where... Two different breaks and we're singing a completely different tune. Exactly. We're talking about how ETN is the back to own in Jacksonville and he's going to be your league winner this year. He doesn't drop that touchdown, and Lawrence hits him in stride. He's got two TDs. Yeah, so it's crazy. So that's and that's one of the things to watch. Where a lot of people, especially if you're a non-expert, if you don't watch all of the games, I mean, we you know we have Red Zone on. We try to watch as much as many of the games we have. We have we have two TVs going. We've got one with Red Zone and one with the games on it on Sunday Ticket on the other one. Yeah, rewatch them things. Yeah, and so we go back and see. Maybe you're not watching the games and you just see the scoreboard and you panic on your player and you're like i got the wrong running back or i've got the wrong wide receiver i need to drop this guy but don't panic too much week one a lot of crazy things happen and you want to focus more on things don't look at the fantasy points and this is where some of the apps really kind of crushes 
You want to see things like snap counts, opportunities, how many rushing attempts and targets that targets. they get. Not, not necessarily. You only see catches. Like you got guess four catches on four targets. Like well, what's the opportunity going forward? Right. You want that guy with four catches with nine targets, thinking yeah. that maybe he's going to be a little bit more efficient going forward. Yeah. Maybe the offense is just off. Maybe they're playing a good defense, and that's why he was off. Then you also want to look. You get nervous for guys. You see where like C.D. Lamb, two catches on eleven targets. That's concerning because he got the volume and he wasn't converting. And uh, you can put it on that whole offense was a mess. Yeah, man. exactly. We'll get to that game. That so, offense was a mess. Just don't overreact to your players on week one yet. Hold on to doing anything drastic for another week or so. Uh, oh, before we move on, then Antonio Gibson looked great. I can't believe yeah. we almost forgot. Yeah, we did. Him. All the targets he got, man, he got a ton of pass catching. 14 carries for 58 yards, 4.1 yards per carry, so still not, like, the most explosive uh, runner out there. But, yeah, I mean, he got 21 touches, man. He had 21 touches. What else? What more do you want out of an RB? And with that price discount, because of all the offseason hate he was getting, the Brian Robinson hype was kind of fueling that. I mean, what more do you want from from a guy you probably got in, like, the eighth round by the time uh, those later drafts rolled around? Again, if Brian Robinson was there, we probably aren't seeing Antonio Gibson out there, but it was promising. He got all the touches. Again, the problem is just last year was that he got hurt, so he wasn't able to put up that kind of volume. We'll see if he gets eight targets again. I don't know. This game was crazy, the it fact that both game. This whole week was just crazy. 83 pace attempts in this game between the two quarterbacks. We'll get to the other game. Flacco through 59, and they So. It's crazy. I don't know that the Commanders are going to throw 40 times a game. Maybe they will. Maybe that's what Carson wants, and they'll let him do it. If Antonio Gibson is getting I don't imagine he's getting nine targets a game going forward, though. So, But we'll see. You know, maybe, maybe, just maybe, there's a little bit of hope. So we'll keep an eye on that one. This is an interesting thing to see going forward because he seemed like he was dead in the water there, and then all of a sudden he has a revival week one. But again, it's against the Jacksonville Jaguars, who have had the first overall pick for two, the last two years in a row. So, wrap up the Commanders game real quick. Jahan Dotson caught two touchdown passes. I'm not overreacting to it yet. If he doesn't catch those two touchdown passes, he doesn't do much as far as fantasy-wise. He wasn't as targeted as some of the other players in that game. Five targets. So, again, we have Curtis Samuel with 11. We have Logan Thomas with six. We have Antonio Gibson with eight. And I'm just... I know he caught two touchdown passes. Everybody's really hype. Apparently, he's now the odds-on favorite to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. Just relax, guys. <laughs> caught two touchdown passes on four four touches so or four targets. That one catch was a great catch. I'm not taking away anything from his skill, but as far as a consistent role in fantasy, like I have people ready to drop guys that they have on their bench, handcuff running backs, things like running backs who didn't ready perform this week, yeah. just to pick up Dotson if they didn't already have him. And it's like just... You know, if you want to pick him up and stash him, go ahead. But don't drop your backup running back or don't drop anybody valuable to add Jahan Dotson to see what's going on. Because we're Eagles fans. We've seen Carson Wentz play plenty of football. I can't remember the last time he's had two fantasy-relevant wide receivers in a season. Even his number one fantasy-relevant wide receiver is typically wide receiver 15 to 20-ish area. I mean, listen, you know I'm not a, a huge Carson Wentz fan, but when was when was the last time he actually had two decent wide receivers? This is fair. I mean, the Eagles, they, they did. But again, I mean, Alshon Jeffrey was one outside of him. I mean, I guess the year he balled out, Torrey Smith was solid. But after that, after they were gone, and it started his downfall, goes to Indianapolis. It's just Michael Pittman. 
One guy. I mean, he's never had the opportunity to really support two. So, again, if we look at it, we've got Jahan Dotson with five targets, Terry McLaurin with four targets. So we've got nine targets between Jahan Dotson and Terry McLaurin. They're top two wide receivers. Right. Curtis Samuel got 11. Antonio Gibson got eight. So that's uh, I'm not buy- I'm buying Curtis Samuel. I buy Jahan Dotson more than I buy Curtis Samuel because I don't know that Curtis Samuel is getting 11 targets per game. I wouldn't really bank on that. I would think that maybe we want to get Jahan Dotson more involved with how much you spent on him as a rookie. So we'll see. Again, this is one of those things where I'm I'm not expecting how this week played out for the Commanders to be how it continues Every to play week. out going forward. So I think Terry McLaurin's going to get more involved. I think Jahan Dotson's going to get more involved. That's going to come at the expense of Curtis Samuel and Antonio Gibson. That's so true. we'll see. I usually like to wait until after about three weeks to establish like how I think things are going to play out. And I can see if there's a pattern developing so far. Is somebody's touching going up, down? Are they staying the same? And, you know, then we're past week one. And then, again, the problem is if you do it immediately after week two and week one and week two are so drastically different, you don't know where to come down. I need that third week to kind of balance things out. So let's move on. Pittsburgh Steelers versus Cincinnati Bengals. T. Higgins got injured at the start of the uh, early in the first quarter, second quarter. It was early in the game. I think it might have been the second, but it was first half for sure. Had two catches before he went out, got a concussion, got uh, taken out of the game, was ruled out quickly. Bengals really struggled. Jamar Chase, Joe Mixon both did what you needed him to do. Joe Barrow was... Well, what happened to Joe Barrow, man? I, I don't know. That's a great question. I'm not really sure. Uh, Four picks and a fumble and five turnovers. The crazy thing is, the, he has two five turnovers. Two fumbles. I swear he fumbled twice. I'll double-check that, but I'm almost positive that he fumbled twice. Six turnovers, then? Can we get confirmation on that? Joe Barrow fumbled twice. He only lost one. So five okay. turnovers, and they still... Should have won the game in regulation. Yeah. He turned the ball over five times and played that terrible of a game, and they still should have won. Yeah. We mentioned it earlier. What happened with the Bengals was their long snapper got hurt. The guy who's their backup long snapper apparently hadn't been practicing doing long snapping for field goals. Uh, Interesting comment to make. But, uh, yeah, so that's what ended up happening. And then they just had bad snaps on – at the end of the game, they scored a touchdown. All they needed was the extra point to go up a point and win. And there was a bad snap. And the, they did block it. They did block it, but there was a bad snap that gave them some extra time to block it. Field goal, same thing. Bad snap, bad hole. I believe he gave them all laces for the kicker and uh, missed the field goal attempt. We mentioned it earlier, but yeah. So again, Joe Mixon, really good. I mean, he had 27 carries. He had nine targets. He was heavily involved. It seems like. They had talked. Uh, there was some talk during the offseason about him not being, about, you know, Samaj P. Ryan or Chris Evans being the passing game work, and they weren't really going to do him. It seems like that got thrown out the window. Yeah. He could be the next guy that's getting 15, 16, 17 carries a game and five, six targets a game as well, and getting. He's you know, getting that workhorse load right there. I mean, he got seven catches and 27. That's 34 touches, man. That's beautiful. You don't see that that often anymore. Yeah. He wasn't particularly effective with his carries. The offensive line for the Bengals didn't look like it was much improved despite all. The Steelers' defense is legit. That's that's another takeaway from this game. Granted, they're going to lose T.J. Watt for a little while. I'm not sure if it was announced if he needs surgery or not. I saw something he may be able to just rehab. I believe that the uh, latest I saw was that he doesn't need surgery. He just needs some sort of rehab, like you said, and he'll be out six to eight weeks possibly. Even without him. It's going to hurt. Don't get me wrong, but that defense is still going to be strong. Yeah. 
Najee Harris also got hurt in this game. He said he's he says he's playing straight out of his mouth on on a radio show today. I'm playing on Sunday. Mike Tomlin called him day to day, so it doesn't seem like it's anything serious. I have seen reports that seem to indicate that he's good. It's nothing serious. The problem is this is like the third injury this offseason to his foot. He was dealing with the list frank. And he comes back into camp and he something happened where he got kicked or stepped on or something. And it wasn't the list frank, but it was still another injury to like the same leg and now he's dealing with uh, whatever happened in this game to his foot. So, you know, it's just concerning that it's a couple of injuries to his leg. I'm not out on Harris. We'll see how he is. Hopefully, it's like they said, it's nothing, and he'll be able to come back next week, and he'll be fine. I've got him in one of my leagues as well. Optimistic about him. Deontay Johnson looked uh, looked good. He looked all right. Seven catches, 55 yards on 12 targets. He was getting the volume. It's kind of what we expected, though, not particularly efficient volume, kind of similar to what they got last year out of Big Ben as far as all of that goes. Pat Fryamuth, five catches for 75 yards. That was a nice surprise there if you have him at tight end position. I mean, it's only 12 and a half points, but you like to see, you know, 10 targets for your tight end. Anything else? You know, Mitch Trubisky looked serviceable. I mean, he made the plays at the end when they needed it. I mean, you're not expecting that offense to be lighting up the scoreboard. They just need to be competent. Chase Claypool, Chase Claypool, four catches on six targets for 18 yards. Not particularly effective or efficient there. Was used as a runner once Najee Harris got knocked out. Six carries for 36 yards. So uh, if Najee's back, I imagine that they don't really use him in that role as much. Maybe he'll get a few carries. I think they are more all end-around carries and things, too. Yeah. Not so much like you know him actually being like a running back yeah, hybrid like Debo. He, yeah, no, I don't think he was lining up single so. back or anything like that. George Pickens, the rookie, only got three targets, one catch for three yards. Not really impressive. We'll see what happens going forward with him. Again, I've kind of been out on Chase Claypool the whole time because I didn't think that they necessarily have long-term plans for him there. And, I mean, four catches for 18 yards. Not particularly, you know, this doesn't scream like, hey, you need to keep me out there on the field and use me. So... New Orleans Saints versus the Atlanta Falcons. Falcons looked like they were going to win this game for quite some time, and then they do exactly what the Atlanta Falcons do, and they blow a three-score-plus lead late in the game. I don't know. Jeez, man. How to be a fan of the Falcons, man. It's got to be painful. You could have had an extra Super Bowl. You could. There's so many games. Every time they lose a game like this, there's just a no new image that goes up on social media. Dude. That's just ha- it's like it just keeps getting longer and longer and longer. I, there was like eight games that they showed where the Falcons were up three scores plus with you know uh, let going into the second half or going into you know it's like you know halfway through the third quarter and they managed to blow these games and I just. It's 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 almost it's almost unbelievable. Like it's got to be, it's like a special skill to lose games like this. You know what I mean? Like I don't know how you, I don't know how you manage to do it, and then as it's happening, not realize it's happening, and change what you're doing, and just allow it to continue to go on. Like you know what I mean? It's just it's baffling. But let's, it seems like they're cursed. <laughs> let's dig into the players. I, I mean, a little. There's some stuff that I I kind of saw. So uh, I thought it was a. Disappointing day for Kyle Pitts. Like uh, a lot of fantasy uh, managers would agree. Two um, catches for 19 yards on seven targets. So yeah, yeah. Um, a, a much discussed guy here on the pod. We talked about him a couple times. Cordell Patterson's back at it. So, He's back at it again. 
So the plan for the Falcons was to use Damian Williams much more. Damian Williams got hurt early on in the game. We're still waiting to see the severity of that injury. <laughs> it looks like he might be out for a little bit of time. We're not exactly sure at the moment. We'll give you an update on that on Twitter when we can. So they got Cordero Patterson involved. 22 carries for 120 yards. He's also used in the passing game. Five targets, three catches for 16 yards. He also scored a rushing touchdown. They were in a position to give Cordero Patterson 22 carries. So that's what I'll say. And then they still lost the game. So I don't imagine there's going to be a lot of opportunities where Cordero Patterson is going to be afforded 22 carries in a Falcons game this season, especially <laughs> after how this... Like, that's fair. They, I just had to bring it up because of how we, talk, how we talked about no, it. No, I know. We weren't the only ones. But yeah. the second half of that game kind of showed us this is still the Falcons and they're still going to somehow do it. I don't expect them to come out and be up you know, two, three scores on teams to be able to run it like that the way they did. So, uh, Cordero Patterson, though, if, you know, again, if Damian Williams is out for a significant period of time, Cordero Patterson looked like he'll be the guy. Tyler Algier, the rookie running back, was a healthy scratch for that game. So, uh, maybe he's active next week if Williams is out. Keep an eye on him, a name to watch there. But... Other than that, Kamara. Alvin Kamara also sustained a rib injury apparently yeah, at some point. That. That, that's what, yeah, he has a rib injury. I don't know if he got it during the game, if it was before the game. That's the part that I'm not sure of. I have seen updates. He's had a rib injury. That's why he was limited. He only had nine carries for 39 yards and I believe three catches. He had three catches on four targets. So, I mean, he was only given 13 opportunities in the game. That has to do with the rib injury. That should change going forward. Also to go along with that, some people are going to be interested in Taysom Hill at the tight end position. He got six carries because Alvin Kamara had a rib he's, injury and wasn't involved. Don't, don't buy it. He, yeah. he's gonna, he does this. He has blow-up games, and then he disappears for two or three games, and then it's a favorable matchup, and the coaching staff sees that, and they use him, and he's a blow-up game. Then he's gone for two or three games mm-hmm. again. And it's just a cycle. They managed to, like you said, they use him almost situationally to exploit something either. But you're never going to know when it's coming because – it's not going to be in the game plan beforehand, but they might notice it as the game develops. Or if a player gets hurt and they need to adjust, they seem to go to him quite a bit because he's very versatile, and that's what happened in this game. So, not buying that. Drake London, I mean, he looked he looked kind of solid. You solid. Know, what, what do you want from a rookie in his debut? 74 yards, five catches. I mean, yeah. seven targets, caught five of them for 74 yards. Like you said, 12 and a half points. Again, that's your flex play. Your solid debut yeah. for the rookie. I mean, it was like... People's expectations are skewed by Jamar Chase, like Justin Jefferson the past couple of like, Dudes aren't just going to always come in and light it up. Like, you see Traylon Burks, we'll get to him in his game, but he has three for 55. Drake London has five for 74. Like, these are encouraging games. Like, yeah. And I'll say, too, like, if he scores a touchdown there, he's got 18 fantasy points, mm-hmm. and he's one of the top wide receivers for the yep. week that we're talking about. So it's a matter of that he's on a not a particularly efficient offense but that we knew but again what i said earlier about number what drake london is another one of those guys that i grabbed on a few teams because he should see 100 plus targets and by the end of the season that should mean that he's averaging 10 12 even 15 plus fantasy points just purely based off of that volume even with an inefficient quarterback in a poor offense not scoring any touchdowns not really interested in any other pass catchers there again you know, Kyle Pitts and Drake London both got seven targets, so the two most targeted players there. Cordero Patterson with five is third. Not really interested in Olamide Zaccheaus or Cordero Hodge. On the flip side, we have an interesting wide receiver situation. Jarvis Landry, seven catches for 114 yards. Michael Thomas, five catches for 57 yards. 
two touchdowns. Chris Olave, three catches for 41 yards. So Chris Olave was only targeted three times. He caught all three of them for 41 yards. That's encouraging yeah. to me. That he uh, he was given an opportunity on all those opportunities. He caught them develop, and turned them into something. Michael Thomas, eight targets, five catches, 57 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, I think it was a, a solid game back for, for him for his first, like, game. And how, how long has it been? Two years almost, it feels like? Yeah, basically. I mean, I don't know what other people were expecting. I, week week one, game one, I didn't expect to see him targeted 12, 14 times and have eight or nine catches for 150 yards. Like, I wasn't expecting that. You know, they it's a long season. Make sure your guy's good. Seeing him with eight targets and five catches, I mean, the two touchdowns is gravy on top. But just seeing the volume that in week one is, is nice because I expect that role with him and Jarvis Landry to flip as the season goes on. So that's kind of where I was falling. So Jarvis Landry had nine targets, seven catches for 114 yards. My thing was I'm sitting there looking, it's like, I honestly felt better about Chris Olave's situation, the fact that his role will increase going forward. Because I look and I just like, I don't imagine Jarvis Landry going 7 for 1 for. He's never been a big player. He averaged 16.3 yards per reception there. That's never really been Jarvis Landry's style. And so, I don't imagine he keeps that role going forward. If Michael Thomas doesn't catch those two touchdowns, he's 5 for 57. He's got 10 points. points. So... Mm -hmm. It's just one of those things where, again, if you look at the box score, if you look at the fantasy points, that kind of tells you one thing. You look at the opportunities, and uh, again, the Saints executed, I don't even know how many trades to actually be able to get up and get, you know, I know that he, they executed at least two trades to be able to get up and use that first round pick to get on him, but they might have used more before that to even get to where they got with the Eagles, you know what I mean, to make that trade right. up in the first round and grab Chris Olave. So they clearly have plans for him. My concern, again, with Michael Thomas has not been so much about how he could perform if he was back and healthy. My question is, how long during the season does he stay healthy for? That's really my That's main concern. Question, yep. There's a couple guys like that that we're going to talk about that, you know, I've been down on them all offseason. They went off this week, and they look great. And it's like, that's not my concern. My concern is week six, we're talking about this guy's on IR, and he's probably missing six to eight weeks like some of these other guys in week one happened. So... That's my concern with Michael Thomas still remains about that. Again, if he doesn't get the touchdowns, he's not really doing it. Do we expect the offense to really be scoring that often? If they do, do we really expect all of the touchdowns to be going to Michael Thomas? I mean, with Jameis Winston, we expect to throw a lot. Expect them to be decent. I don't know how high scoring, but if they're only scoring two, three touchdowns a game, I don't expect that they're all going to Michael Thomas like yeah, they did this week. So Probably not. Again, one of those things where... Temper your expectations after week one. Don't sell the house to acquire Michael Thomas if you had T. Higgins or C.D. Lamb and you're freaking out. Like, Don't trade C.D. Lamb for Michael Thomas is what I would say. Well, maybe. We'll, th we'll come back to that. But I, I would still say hold on that one at the time being. Cleveland and Carolina. All right. I give it a start. Yep. Started Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb at great games. Both very effective. As we figured they would with, you know, Deshaun Watson being out and yep. the limited options that the Cleveland Browns have at pass catcher. Surprisingly, Donovan Peoples-Jones, 11 targets, 6 catches. David Bell, I believe, was a healthy scratch for this game, if I'm not mistaken, or he just wasn't involved. Uh, he, um, he played 22 of 80 snaps. Okay, and he did not receive a single target, so he doesn't show up on the stat sheet. Yeah, it's a bit disappointing. 
So very uh, disappointing. Yeah, Donovan Peoples-Jones looks to be their wide receiver there. I mean, he, he had 11 targets, so it's twice as many as pretty much anybody else. I'm sorry, Amari Cooper had six targets, three catches for 17 yards. Go figure. Amari Cooper, going to be 30, has been falling off, you know, for the past few years now, consistently injured on a pass-heavy offense with a low-volume passer, isn't top 20 wide receiver, a top 25 wide receiver. Go figure. Um, definitely nobody on this show is. I just couldn't believe how high some other people had Amari Cooper. Doesn't just, make sense, man. So you know maybe we're taking a little too much away from it, but I mean three catches for 17 yards. It's not like he did a whole lot. I didn't particularly watch this game, so I didn't necessarily see how it all unfolds. But more surprising on the other side, Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, it's a bit disappointing. Him and DJ Moore. Ten carries for 33 yards. Four catches on four targets for 24 yards. 14 total opportunities for Christian McCaffrey. It's not the CMC we're used to. What What are teams doing? Do teams want to win games? I think they want to keep them healthy. Oh, is that what they're doing now? That yeah, you know, maybe maybe you could use them a little more in your season opener against the Cleveland Browns, who you acquired a quarterback from that wanted to prove something. Maybe, just maybe. You know, the rest of your division looks like it's faltering right. a little bit. You could have... Crazy things happened. We, we saw the Broncos not use the quarterback. They just gave $260 million to and traded all those picks and players. They kicked a 64-yarder instead. Colts not so, using Jonathan Taylor y- at the goal line. Crazy things happen. Is Aaron Rodgers the only person who understands that to win games you have to have your best 11 out there? He, he might be. <laughs> I mean, I, everybody else, I guess they want to get too cute with it. Yeah, it's like, uh, I don't know, man. It's just one of those things where it goes even to where, like, Jamal Williams going in for DeAndre Swift, where it's like, listen, there's liking a guy and, you know, keeping him on the team and making him a captain and doing things like that. And then there's, you know, then there's winning football games. And there's it just seems like at times they put these guys in, like, Naheem Hines taking a direct snap in the Colts game. Jamal Williams going in a rush for those two touchdowns after DeAndre Swift moved them 50 yards on the drive. It's just like... Are you guys trying to win games, or, like, are you trying to, you know, get your guys some screen time? Like, were the Broncos trying to sell NFTs for their tight ends? Like, why are we featuring their tight ends? Who's Beck? Why am I hearing Beck's name over and over again in the Broncos game? Like, are we trying to win football games, or are we trying to show how creative our offense is? Like, how about you just win football games? Let's focus on that. And then we can worry about getting cute and creative after the fact. But who's the big brain? Not about who has the better record. Come on, we know this. Robbie Anderson... Balled out. Wanted nothing to do with Baker Mayfield in the offseason, if we recall. Like, you know what, dude? I hope you're ready to play. <laughs> I'm feeding you. Eight <laughs> targets, five catches for 102 yards and a touchdown. This is the guy so that wanted ironic, Sam man. Darnold. That so I had ironic. said every year he plays with Sam Darnold, he's down. His first game with Baker Mayfield, and this is what happens. He goes for 100 and a touchdown, man. You can't make it up. So that did come at the expense of DJ Moore. Six targets, three catches for 43 yards. He did get a rushing attempt as well. We were expecting more from DJ Moore. Uh, it's very disappointing. This I, I really hope this isn't a situation where somebody who was previously quarterback-proof is all of a sudden not quarterback-proof for the strangest reason out there. And I really hope Robbie Anderson isn't the reason DJ Moore falls off. Again, this is one of those things where I'm hoping that the off the coach comes looks at what they did week one, looks at the numbers, and then says, huh, that's probably not right. Maybe to win games, we need to involve Christian McCaffrey and DJ more and more. Maybe we need to get them more involved in our offense in order to win this game, you know? So, we'll see if they do that. Yeah. What's his name? LaVisca Chenault, a healthy scratch for this game. Anybody else for this game? That I'm, you know, Nick Chubb, 
and Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt gets the two touchdowns for the Browns. Fortunately, we know what the split's going to be. Nick Chubb still produced. Kareem Hunt produced more. I ex- again, I don't expect Kareem Hunt. Week week. I don't they're expect him to get the two touchdowns every. Yeah, exactly. They're both startable. It's just who's going to score the TDs that week. So that's all it comes down to. All right, so I think that's going to be everything for this episode. We have some more. Obviously, we're going to get into. We have some more games to run through, but we're going to pick that up in the next episode. We run a little long here. Um, there are some other things to talk about that we missed that we'll start off with the next episode to get some of that in so we're not just doing pure game recaps again. But until next time, I am Ryan McNichols. Rich out. No Mike Coyle today. I don't know if anybody happened to notice through that whole hour recording that we did, but some scheduling conflicts. Mike could not be here with us. I'm picking up double duty as a producer today. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, at Fantasy Oddballs. You can also catch us on Spotify. Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, pretty much anywhere you get your audio podcast. Until next time, peace out.